Welcome to the Better Business, Better Life podcast. Terry DuPont is the founder of DuPont Advisory Group, a group dedicated to providing comprehensive services to successful business owners, medical, and other professionals. Terry has top-of-the-table status in the prestigious International Million Dollar Roundtable, placing him among the top one-tenth of 1% of all professional financial advisors in the world. Terry's philosophy is, I've learned that I grow and prosper more by focusing on the success of others rather than fretting over my own. Terry is a certified financial professional with the Institute of Financial Wellness, an advisor for the power of zero taxes in retirement, chartered retirement plans specialist, certified wealth preservation planner, and certified philanthropic developer. On the podcast, Terry brings together experts in their field who have succeeded in building their business to share their secrets with you. And now, here's your host, Terry DuPont. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success. And I'm your host, Terry DuPont. I'm really, really excited about this week's episode because I have a couple friends on that I work with uh, in my industry, and uh, we've got something very big, something very new to share with you. So I I can't wait to get this one going. So um, today we have with us Bob and Kim Raimondo. Uh, Bob and Kim are a husband and wife. Um, They're both attorneys, and they're both uh, executives of Redwood Private Wealth. Uh, Bob's the CEO and Kim's the president. Uh, Kim is also uh, the uh, chief compliance officer. She's a compliance attorney. Um, and so welcome, Bob. Welcome, Kim, to the show. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks for having Pleasure us. to be here. I'm so excited you're here. Okay. So um, I'll start, uh, Kim, uh, I'll start with you. Could you tell us a little bit uh, about you and why you uh, started your career? Absolutely. Yeah. So I started out as a litigation attorney um, and began uh, in really in prosecution um, and got my, you know, got my sea legs as a prosecutor and learning from from that system. And then I went in to become uh, went on to become a civil litigator and then eventually found myself into the corporate space where uh, for the last 12 years, I've been working uh, in this space, in the RIA space, and uh, as a compliance and regulatory attorney, helping firms uh, with SEC registration and oversight uh, of large advisory firms, and then eventually became a partner and owner in in the current firm that we have. So I've been doing that for about, since about 2010, and uh, really started out in litigation and then kind of worked my way into the regulatory space and found that to be, you know, a place that I really enjoyed and wanted to be in. And so really started to partner alongside Bob, who was an advisor and had left kind of the law practice and to do that and pursue it. And I wanted to really help with that and, and thought that was a more interesting track for me. So that's how I ended up here. Okay, Bob, how about you? Yeah, so um I you know, I started working in the advisory business um well over 20 years ago. Um and uh that you started out as uh, an individual practitioner um and then eventually folded my firm into um a larger firm where I became a, a managing director and grew that firm to, you know, multiple billions. And then um, 
since then have partnered with Kim directly, although Kim was a partner all throughout this, of course, it was also an executive at the the firm we were at prior, but then rolled it into, you know, what I would call, um, you know, a boutique advisory firm. We're nationally registered um, RIA. Um, mm-hmm. We have you know, 50 plus um, advisors, um, robust, robust firm uh, for sure. But uh, prior to that, um, I practiced law. So in a variety of different areas, I clerked for a judge, I worked in uh, trademarks, intellectual property, um, and uh, you know, really kind of uh, enjoyed the idea of working with individuals kind of on the same side of the table rather than the opposite side of the table. So that's why I wound up migrating into uh, financial advisory. And, and now I focus on business development, um, strategic partnerships, new initiatives, and uh, yeah, it's 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 been a really good uh, direction for both Kim and I. Yeah, well, great, great. Uh, now, here's a question um, that I haven't had to ask anybody on my any of my shows yet. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> uh oh. Since you're both married to each other, and <laughs> you're both working for running the same firm and owning the same firm with each other. Um, what's the biggest challenge you faced in that amount of time or that period of time? You, you want take, me to answer that? You answer and then I'll give you my answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I think it's the bleed over into the personal life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last night, you know, Kim and I are sitting on the couch watching our daughter play uh, Fortnite at 11 o'clock while we're both on <laughs> different computers doing different things for the firm. So, you know, bleed over into kind of the personal life, but at the same time, that can be, you know, a real plus too. But I think, you know, most entrepreneurs would probably agree with this, that, you know, it's difficult to turn the switch off. So, um, and then, you know, when your, your, your partner in life is your partner in business, mm-hmm. you know, that can kind of bleed into one another. So I would say that's probably the biggest challenge but you know i think we i think we handle it pretty well yeah okay. i mean we've been working together a long time i was going to say i think you know i was going to say that the uh the most challenging thing is who's going to make dinner right <laughs> <laughs> and that's it really i mean that's what it boils down to right is like where do we stop working and start you know acting as a couple and as a family and that's just the challenge right is for us as our kids you know, and our family and we as a couple live and breathe business. And so it's just trying to find that balance, right? And trying to make sure, you know, we can support each other. I think, you know, there are some great things that come out of being a partnership, right? And business and in life. And, you know, there's no one I would trust more, but it's it's about, right, knowing when to kind of shut it down and, hey, this is family time. And, you know, there's no perfect recipe for that, right? So we just try to remember, like, you know, we're, we're married, we're in marriage first and business second, right? Because, you know, you don't want to become business partners and forget that you actually have a relationship. So it's just kind of balancing act. And every, you know, every period of our life shifts that in some degree, right? So, you know, we're at a new phase in our life where our kids are kind of growing up and moving on. And, you know, we have two kids in college, one that's finishing up, we have two that are finishing high school. So, you know, just trying to really reset that, you know, reset that and, and recalibrate that on occasion is helpful. Awesome. Good, good. Um, now, given your uh, extensive experience, and uh, you can both answer this, um, how do you stay informed about industry trends uh, and what to, you know, what to do uh, you see uh, as most significant trends and or, or challenges 
on facing the investment advisory business in the coming years? I'll go. That's a great question. It's a really good question. I think part of it is the... And then, <laughs> I think it might uh, segue into uh, the, the, the great news too. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the way that we've really structured the business is it's not a co-op, certainly, but it's a collaboration. So the advisors, we work very closely with all of the advisors that are at our firm. And so oftentimes we'll find that advisors will you know, bring information, new ideas, resources to us. You know, we've been in the business long enough to where we have lots of different relationships, which help us to stay informed on top of what's going on. You have to make it, um, and really we kind of pride ourselves on this, you have to make it a part of your ordinary course of business, seeking out new information. But we created an environment where we're very welcoming of advisors and other allied professionals, staff to bring new things to us. So that collaboration and really has led us into, you know, I think kind of, you know, what will be a broader conversation around, you know, some of the new technologies that we're deploying. But I think that's a, a that's really helped us to kind of be progressive and stay ahead of where the industry is going. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kim? Yeah, I think I think that's, you know, that's the ticket, right, is the cooperative and collaborative nature of our business. I think looking at it from that perspective uh, allows us to have more of an open mind and a, uh, a view on the future, right? Because, you know, the industry is changing rapidly. We are faced with many challenges in it. And um, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to really to pool resources and to pool information to assess kind of where we're headed and to help our advisors not only survive, but thrive, you know, in this industry as it morphs and, cha- and changes into something that's moving at a much, you know, COVID accelerated a lot of things. And I yeah. think, uh, you know, that kind of brings us into where we're headed. But I think that's the challenge, right, is the acceleration of the business in kind of phasing into this new new phase of the world, right, where we're moving away from, you know, our last um you know, our last era and into this new, more advanced technology era. And that's really where we're headed. And it's our job to incorporate kind of the human component with where we're headed. Right. And that's, that's what we need to look to do. Yeah. Yeah. You keep baiting me. I want to get into that, but I've got a couple other questions. So what advice do you have for professionals uh, aiming to balance a successful career with those family relationships that we talked about earlier? I would say prioritize, right? And understand that, you know, I often get this question from young women, right? Who are looking to start a family and to go into business. And my my advice to them looking back after, you know, 30 years or 25 years of being in business is to help yourself prioritize and give yourself grace when you don't find that there is a perfect balance between the two worlds. Because, you know, you're going to find times where your children and your family demand more time and you'll find times when your business demands more time. And it's just being able to navigate that so that you can, you know, feel comfortable knowing that it's never going to be a perfect balance. It's that's unachievable. So I think just understanding like, you know, there are times when each needs priority. And part of the I think the goal is to understand when that is right. So when you do that, you have a much better chance of feeling good about both. Because we tend to feel, you know, this push and pull. But when you align, when you allow yourself to really um, 
lean into that, right? Whatever's whatever direction is happening, right? So if 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 at you know at a given time I have a big initiative at work, you know, I'm very clear with my family, like, hey, I have a big initiative at work. So that means I'm going to have less time for the things that you guys need me for. And so I try to make sure that I communicate that well and that they understand, like if they need me, I'm here, but it doesn't always mean that I can be present at all times, right? So that's the challenge is like, you know, hey guys, right now I have to do this. And then if something pulls me away from business, I'm also really try to be good about and proactive about communicating with my business partners and with my team that, hey, I've got this challenge at home that I need to address and it's taking up more time. So let's lean on other people to do the things we need to do right now and just kind of create that seesaw, right? Where it's kind of always trying, you know, it's moving, but you're always trying to to stay in sync with where you're at in the universe, I think is important. Okay, good. Uh, Bob, is there anything that uh, you would want to add to that or uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, honoring your own time and giving yourself space. So I think kind of carving out time for yourself, I think is really, really important. And that can be really, really challenging. Um, And and kind of along those lines is creating a model week. So where you have time booked in for yourself, for your partner, for your family, and for business, I think that really makes a big difference. And, you know, it, it's not always perfect for sure, but I think those two things I think are really, really important because otherwise you'll be overwhelmed by one part of one aspect of your life or another, unless you're, you know, a bit more vigilant about it. All right. Well, thank you both for that. I uh, appreciate that. Um, how do you each define success? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question, Bob. I'll let you go first. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I, there, so happiness for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to feel fulfilled and happy and those around me, I want to feel the same way. And I think that's true in our family life. And I think that's true in business as well. What kind of really gets my gears going is I love um, working with advisors and seeing them get wins. And that that's for me what's most exciting about this business. So for me, seeing that happen and helping to be a catalyst for that is success. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think to add on to that, I mean, Bob pretty much stated, I think, pretty well what I feel about success. Success to me is being being driven by a purpose, feeling like you're accomplishing some, you have set out to accomplish something and then you do so, whether it be in your professional, personal life, right? Just sort of understanding what your goal and purpose is and having meaning, attaching meaning to that, right? It doesn't necessarily mean financial success. I think that we're often driven to financial success because of the glitz that, you know, that, that lifestyle provides. But for me, you know, if you do something that provides you purpose and meaning, financial success usually follows and I think if you 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 set it in that path, you set that path in the in in those steps. You know, I think you're more likely to feel successful rather than chasing. You know, after the dollar, I feel like it's about purpose, right, and meaning, and feeling like at the end of the day, I feel like you know I'm a good person, and what I've set out to do is going to do some good in the world, and that that's really what drives me. Awesome, yeah, I couldn't have wrote that better for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> kudos, kudos. So, uh, you know, uh, we've been friends for a little while um, and uh, we are we were and it 
because we're business partners in a sense, and my registered investment advisory firm partners with your registered investment advisory firm. I think I'm one of the one of the you know my firm is one of the fifty or suppose something yeah, like that. Yeah, for so, sure. Um, and uh, you know we've been talking about this uh, this surprise that I'm gonna we're going to reveal here shortly, um, and uh, uh, for a while, uh, and it took a little while to put it together, and. and uh, it's uh, it's pretty awesome, and then we uh, we even had dinner last last week uh, out in Scottsdale, Arizona, because uh, you're in the Phoenix area, and I was out there on business. So uh, I'm really excited about this, and it, it has to do with the new technology. Okay, and so, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to learn uh, about AI managed portfolios, investment portfolios, uh, and it's the first time it's really ever been done. Okay. And uh, we have our arms wrapped all around it and it us, I think. So uh, I'm going to let you guys just talk about this and tell you, uh, you can explain what's happened, what's happening, uh, how it's going to benefit people, et cetera. And uh, I don't care who starts, just as long as one of you does. Sure. <laughs> okay, go for it, Bob. We go into it? Okay, yeah. So, um yeah, we're really excited about this. Um, you know, back in June, we were introduced to a fintech firm that has been working in the artificial intelligence space for for years. Um, the founders of the firm, um, they, um, what was the what's the term, Kim? Map the genome of a grain of rice. So these mm -hmm. are you know these are guys that are like straight out of central casting. If you were to look at a, you know, what a data scientist were to look like. And so um, they have been employing what's known as ensemble uh, methodologies, um, which is a form of machine learning or part of kind of the machine learning um, umbrella in a variety of different areas. So ensemble methodologies, they've been around for a while. So they're used to predict, it's essentially a predictive engine. It's creating a better predictive engine. So they're using this predictive engine to predict the path of a hurricane, for example. So if you ever see that chart where, you know, there's a bunch of squiggly lines and then there's one like red line, that's where they think it's going to go. That's using ensemble methodology. It's used to, you know, predict um, early onset diabetes, autism, a variety of different applications. And so um, what they found and what's interesting is that, you know, when you think about um, actively managed mutual funds, these are predictive engines. So the mutual fund manager is looking to predict which stocks are going to perform better than another and what the combination of those stocks is going to do. And so each one of these managers at the different firms are, are doing this, right? But they're not sharing information. They have their own methodology. Um, but oftentimes, you know, they're reaching, um, they're finding um, commonality among the positions that they may hold. But we, as consumers of, you know, mutual funds, as investors, we don't know what's in a mutual fund on a daily basis. That information is guarded. They have to share that information over time, but it's usually stale. So acting on yeah. that. It's a, it's a snapshot in time. It's one second or one minute. Yeah. That's exactly right. And what's interesting is that, you know, active managers, um, you know, there's lots of um, academic research on this, um, have not um, been able to outperform the indexes that they track 
on a regular basis. It's been a real challenge for the active management industry. In fact, um, over eight, over the last 18 years, there's been outflows from actively managed mutual funds into indexes, you know, for example, and, and other things. And that's simply um, evidence of the fact that active managers are having a really hard time outperforming. Why pay an active manager if you can put it into an index fund and do better? So that's been a real challenge. So I, 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 I don't know if the number still holds, but it used to be that like each and every year, 85% of all mutual funds fail to match or beat their, uh, you know, their appropriate index that they're linked to. Um, that's still valid. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are dramatic, for sure. Um, absolutely. Underperformance is the rule, not the exception. Um, it, for active managers, it's it's a real challenge. And so what the uh, the use of AI has done is, and here's what's interesting. So, okay, so active managers, one of the problems, of course, is risk mitigation. They have um, to um, to track to the benchmark, right, that they're kind of you know, supposed to track to. So they don't uh, waver too far from the um, from the benchmark. And their performance is stunted as a byproduct of that. There were a couple studies done, one in, it was 2005, and then more recently in 2018, which actually showed that the high conviction overweights of fund managers actually outperform the market. So, but they're um, they're constrained in the kind of the traditional structures that these mutual funds have. So um, what ensemble methodology has been able to uncover is that they are able to see inside, well, it's not ensemble, it's another technology called Hercules AI, which you know we can we can talk about, um, of course, but they're able to see inside of the mutual funds on a daily basis, uh, what they own and what the weightings are. And so they're able to see what the high conviction overweights of these fund managers are, and they're able to build consensus among different fund managers. So the American funds, guy or girl, mutual fund manager, the Vanguard mutual fund manager, Fidelity, Brandywine, whatever the case may be, they're able to see inside of all of them. And by doing that, they can build consensus. Once they build consensus on an overweight, that makes sense to have that stock be part of a portfolio. And so we're structuring portfolios based upon that. So you've increased your odds, so to speak, correct? That's a, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so what's been really exciting about that is the the performance, uh, the overperformance has been dramatic and the underperformance on the downside has been dramatic as well. So you're seeing these, you know, upside downside captures, the spreads are are pretty remarkable. I'll okay. pause there. I was saying quite a bit. So <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You there's a lot to talk about. Here. Yeah, for sure. You want you want to give him a break, Kim, and, and go into some of the compliance issues that are involved with this? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, so you know, predictive AI and machine learning has been around for a long time, right? I mean, we hear these words now, but I mean they emerged in the 30s, right? And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, one of the most probably well-known examples of that is Alan Turing, right? And the machine that he created, uh, you know, to intercept German communications, right? During the war. 
And so, you know, that was really one of the the, the beginnings of AI and, and machine learning. And so, you know, machine learning has been applied many different ways throughout, you know, the last few decades. And, you know, we're just now coming around to it in the in this industry. And so with all industries, right, and you're seeing this in the car industry now, right, where you're seeing in the automotive industry where, you know, there's talk of driverless cars and things like that, you know, our primary obligation is to, to to consider the ethics of the right of this into the market, right? And so, how do we do that? How do we introduce this this type of technology in any in any realm in a responsible and ethical way, right? So, you know, even though some you know we will be solving problems, right? These things also create problems. And so, what does that look like for our industry? And for others, and I think you know the most important component um, of this this type of transformational change because that's what we're undergoing, right? I mean, as an as an economy too, we're going to be undergoing this transformational change. Um, it's about how do we do it responsibly and ethically, and to consider the human component of that because you know that's the most important and critical factor when we do this. And so you know, part of it is how much transparency is there going to be, right? So how much confidence will the consumer be able to have in AI and its predictive, you know, capabilities, allowing for transparency versus like the black box, right? So that they understand the methodology and it's proven methodology, right? Because, you know, what happens with things like this in any industry is when it emerges, you're going to see like, you know, you're going to see the quacks out there, right, that are going to come in and say, oh, this is AI and we're using AI. And that, that term is going to get thrown around quite a bit. So what I would say is as we begin to emerge into this transformational change, we need to, as consumers and as business owners, understand the importance of, under, of vetting and ensuring that the companies that are, you know, claiming to have machine learning and AI possibilities are truly doing that, right? It's kind of like, you know, you don't want somebody to be able to claim they have GMOs and, you know, they're not using those, right? When, you know, in fact, it's just, you know, you're stamping something, but we really need to be careful about that, right? And so, you know, when we looked to partner on this, you know, we we really would, you know, we would we would ensure that, you know, to do this, we would want to feel comfortable that the group that we've associated with has proven scientific technologies to utilize, right? Because in order for us to ever use anything with the consumer, we would need to ensure that these are actually, you know, well, well-founded methodologies. And so that's critical, I think. And so I just, you know, I would caution people as they begin to hear AI and things like that in the marketplace to really understand what the AI is that firms will be using and how it will, you know, impact their decision making, right? Because, you know, machine learning is important because, you know, for, for a couple of reasons. One is because it allows firms like ours and investment manage and the investment management, um, you know, teams to be able to to sort through and data mine on a very quick basis, right? And it allows us to sort through tons of data, right? Like that we otherwise as humans wouldn't be able to, to be able to accomplish. But we also need to remember that, you know, at the end of the day, humans need to make decisions. And so what we do is we, like, like a doctor would, right? We use that information to apply it to our practice. And I think it needs to be done very carefully and with consideration. And so that's important. Okay. Bob, did you have any more to add? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking as Kim's talking, it's it's such a good point. You know, I think that, you know, the term AI gets thrown out, thrown around a lot, for sure. And for us, 
in partnering with a group like this, we really wanted to make sure that it was doing, it truly was AI and there truly was an advantage that the client's going to benefit from. At the end of the day, you know, the goal is to optimize the outcome for the client. And for us, we want to be able to arm advisors, our, our partners in business with tools that allow them to differentiate out in the market for sure. But at the end of the day, we're fiduciaries. We want to make sure that the client is benefiting. So utilizing these resources to help to construct portfolios that are going to improve outcomes for clients, you know, is really the goal. Um, so and reducing the risk, right? I mean, it's not just right to optimize performance. You also have to calculate risk because risk is a huge factor, right? Particularly in the, you know, in the financial, you know, markets that we see today, right? Because there's so many unpredictable things that have happened in the last few years. And so I think it's critical to remember that, right? So in order to optimize performance, you've got to reduce long-term, you know, exposure to risk. And so that's the other really important part of this, right? So, yeah. If you have, if you have fewer downtimes, you're going to have more uptimes, you know, relatively. Right, right. exactly. And I, yeah. I think there was a study done um, I can't remember uh, the publication that did it, but it was a several years ago, and and they uh, uh, I think it was um, it was one of the investment magazines, but um, they determined from their surveys and studies that eight out of ten people are taking far more risk than they want or know anyway. Okay, mm -hmm. so if we can help reduce that and 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 encourage them to to determine uh, the amount of risk they're carrying, you know, it can make their lives better at least when they know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And having a more having a more precise predictive tool. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is what you know, that allows us to to be able to employ that across the industry will be very helpful to consumers. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, and that's a using that word tool. I think that's really important because this is a tool in our toolkit. It isn't the end all be all. It's a great tool. It's a really cool tool but it's a tool. And then, you know, kind of layered on top of that is the human element, you know, so the interpersonal relationships that you have with your clients, understanding their risk tolerance to your point, Terry, I mean, that's really, really important. You don't want to be attaching, you know, a large cap growth strategy to somebody that is a conservative investor, even though it's using AI. I mean, that's just a mismatch. Right. So I think that's a big part of it. What I found really interesting about this, this, um, idea of the, you know, they call it the wisdom of the experts, right? This ensemble, this aggregation of predictive engines is that each one of these managers that they're looking at that, to um, come up with or to build consensus, they have their own tools and resources that they're using. So it's it's kind of a diversification of models as well that you're getting the benefit from. So these right. managers are using different resources and they're coming to this consensus. So there is the human element that's a big part of this as well. Okay. Um, is there anything uh, either of you would like to share or wish to share uh, that we haven't talked about to this point? Uh, I think that, you know, for me, I just think, you know, I, I really want to be, you know, as we begin to move into the market, I just want to stress the, you know, the, um, the intersection of humans and technology is critical, right? No one is going to re be replacing asset managers and advisors, right? And I think as, you know, speaking to other people in the industry, I think I would like to, 
to kind of share that perspective. Like, don't shy away from change. Change is coming. It's inevitable. And I think when we lean into it and we do it responsibly, we'll, you know, we'll really be able to do better for our clients. And I think that's the goal, right, is to try to find those tools that allow us to do better for our clients and to advance our society, right? And so, you know, if we can do those things and align ourselves in an ethically and responsibly, you know, in responsibly, that will allow for us to take advantage of, of these changes. One of the things that I want to mention, Terry, about you and what I admire in you so much is your ability to shift and change with times, right? And, you know, you have, you're an experienced advisor, but you are adaptive. And I think it's critical for advisors and, you know, to be able to help clients in, in a more effective way to be able to adapt to change. And I think, you know, you know, there's that great quote, you know, I'm not a sports gal, but I know that quote about Wayne Gretzky, right? Skate, skate to where the puck is going. And I think that's really what you always do. And I think that's, that is, in, you know, that's a, that's a quality and a trait that I admire in, in anyone in their profession, because I think that's what really drives innovation and change. And I think, you know, we need that in our industry. And I think we are lagging behind in many ways. And I think, you know, even, even in the most simple ways, right? Like COVID really accelerated some of that. I mean, I, I run into, and, you know, I onboard advisors that are working with big broker dealers that still don't use, even use DocuSign, you know, this is, we're in 2024, right? I mean, you know, you know, Zoom should not be a new word to anyone. You know what I mean? So when you're finding a business that people still haven't, you know, even made the smallest change in business, right? To bring them current, it just boggles my mind, right? That people, A, put up with that and that, right? Well, that, word to a lot of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it, it's really, it it really limits business and it limits clients, right? And so I think, you know, I mean, we are going to be a technology-driven business. We have been for quite some time. I think it's just going to accelerate. And I think, you know, we just need to put people in place that are going to help us to shepherd in this, you know, this this next phase, you know, and it's it's critical. You know, I think it's really important. Yeah, that, thank you for that, though. It was, uh, you humble me. Um, well, it, it, I, uh, I appreciate uh, you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. Any last words? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I I just echo what Kim said. I thought that was really well stated. And I think the idea of kind of, you know, leaning into change, moving forward, not being stagnant in your practice, in your life, in your business, I think that's really, really important. And it's difficult for people to do, uh, for sure. I mean, I think a big part of what advisors do is you know, is change management. People are always going through change in their life. And so I think, you know, be it, it's incumbent upon advisors and us as those that those that advise clients to make sure that, you know, we're there to help where possible. So um, and, to, and to make informed change. Right. Don't just jump on a bandwagon. Do it with a prudent mind. Right. That's always critical for my seat. Right. You know, it's one thing to be on. Right. Yeah, just make a good decision, right? Don't just jump on something because you think it's it is, you know, it's not always what it is, right? So you need to make sure you make informed decisions for your clients, you help them so that you can continue to, you know, to continue to create trust in the clients and continue to do what's best for them because at the end of the day, that's what's going to drive our business. It's a, you know, this is not a luxury we have to be able to advise clients. It's a privilege and we have to see it that way. That's right. Um, as I understand it, um, this uh, patented technology that we've now partnered partnered with uh, until somebody down the road in two or three years develops their own because if we've got 
well, our, the firm, the technology firm that we're using has a patent on it. Uh, no one else can use it, correct? Until somebody comes up with something new. And yep. Yeah, that's true. That's I'm true. no scientist, but that's what I understand it to be. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, <laughs> yeah. my, point, my point is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. there's going to be a lot of people want to talk to us. And so um, your your contact information uh, is at the bottom of the screen. Um, is there uh, uh, anything else you'd like to add about how many people would, how people might contact you or, or who they should contact, that type of thing? Sure, yeah, no. Certainly reach out to us at our contact information. You know, we're, we'll be happy to set up conversations directly with the team that's running this technology, right? Nextfolio is an important part of this. Turing is a, a very important part of this. And I think, uh, you know, it's always good to be able to connect people right to the source. And, you know, those those guys are very motivated to do that. They're very excited about, you know, what they feel is going to be a tremendous change in the in the industry. And so, you know, happy to share that and give our insight and really get, you know, people connected to the source because I think that's critical to be able to move this and drive it into, you know, into into the industry. Okay. Uh, Bob and Kim, um, I think we've got it all covered. Uh, gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so happy uh, that you were both able to be on today. And I, I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this is something so special and so important in my mind. Uh, wow. Just thrilled um, that you uh, uh, brought this to our audience uh, today. Um, so uh, with that, we're going to wrap up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is our our, our, our weekly episode of Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success. Uh, Bob and Kim Raimondo, and uh, I'm your host, Terry DuPont. And remember, uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it, number one. And number two, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. And I'll leave you with that. Come back and join us next week. Take care. This has been the Better Business, Better Life, Building on Your Success podcast. If you have questions about creating tax-free wealth and income, forward-looking tax mitigation, strategic risk mitigation, wealth preservation and legacy planning, and advanced financial management, go to DuponAdvisory.com or email Terry at DuponAdvisory.com. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.